Uh, hello everyone, my name is Carolyn Murray and I'm the Director of the Public Health Programs at the Centre for Population Health here at the New South Wales Ministry of Health. I'd firstly like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands we are on today. I'm joining the podcast from the lands of the Kamaragal people of the beautiful Eora Nation and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to the custodians of the lands of our panellists are on as well and to those of you that are listening to the podcast across New South Wales and elsewhere in Australia. Today we're going to talk about e-cigarettes and young people and particularly the topic of addiction and mental health. My guests today are Associate Professor Becky Freeman and Dr Lyndon Bauer. Welcome Becky and welcome Lyndon. Becky has over 20 years experience working in the tobacco control field and is well versed in program and policy best practice. Her primary research interests include tobacco control, how online and social media influence public health, and the commercial determinants of health. She is an established authority on the potential of the internet to circumvent tobacco advertising bans, and has pioneered research methods in tracking and analysing online social media content. Welcome, Becky. Thank you. Real pleasure to be here. Lyndon is a GP who works on the lovely Central Coast in New South Wales and is a co-joint senior lecturer with the University of Newcastle. He's worked part-time in health promotion since 1993 and since he first started working in smoking cessation in 1992, he's been working in that area ever since. Thank you both for joining me for this topical conversation. Thank you very much. Uh, it's important to note this podcast is being recorded a week after the Australian Federal Health Minister, Mark Butler, announced a package of major reforms and funding to address this concerning public health issue, including banning imports of non-prescription e-cigarettes, banning all single-use disposable e-cigarettes, increasing minimum quality standards for vapes by restricting flavours, colours and other ingredients, requiring pharmaceutical-like packaging, regulating the allowable nicotine concentrations and volumes, improving access to prescriptions for legitimate therapeutic use, funding to support the nicotine cessation services for young people and funding to boost tackling Indigenous smoking. While further details are yet to be announced, some of the priorities for New South Wales Health and other governments, including showing that young people who vape are, have access to services to quit vaping, including those services around that will address the harms of vaping as well as engaging young people in an open and non-judgmental discussion around quitting. We also want to make sure that we address the psychological and mental health needs of young people and we'll continue to, this will continue to be an important part of holistic care. To give you a brief introduction of the work that New South Wales Health is doing, we take a broad approach addressing the rapidly escalating issue of e-cigarette use in young people by looking at regulation and compliance, education and communications, stakeholder engagement, clinical engagement and research. The New South Wales Health Compliance and Enforcement Team inspects and investigates retailers and wholesalers selling illegal tobacco and e-cigarette products from across New South Wales and prosecute, prosecutes those businesses that are breaking the law. Enforcement activity is rapidly increasing. In 2020, there were over 30,000 e-cigarettes and e-liquid products containing nicotine seized. But in 2022, we've had an increase of over 182,000 products, and this is just the tip of the iceberg, showing the scale of the problem. New South Wales delivers education and communication campaigns to the community, 
um, as well as carers and teachers and clinicians. And you may have seen our Do You Know What You're Vaping campaign, which, markets, uh, which is in market and targets young people between 14 and 17 years of age. The toolkit has been rolled out to support young people, parents and their carers to learn more about the facts of vaping. This campaign has been highly successful and further phases are being planned. I'd like to go now to um, Becky, if we can go to you, and I can start with, let's let's start with the basics around what is an e-cigarette? I think there's a lot of confusion out there about what an e-cigarette is. It's a term we kind of throw around and don't really think about it. And we have, they're often called vapes as well, and the terms get used interchangeably. And so about 10 years ago, we saw the first e-cigarette get introduced on the market. It actually looked like a plastic cigarette, like it, like you would think of like a, of it as a toy cigarette. Um, these weren't very popular. They weren't very satisfying. They were, you know, poorly designed, really didn't take off. But then you saw the evolution of these products over time. Some people are probably familiar with the um, devices that kind of look like a really large pen. Some people hang them on lanyards around their neck. And you had to refill these yourselves with, with the liquids and flavors of your choosing. Again, these were not, not hugely popular, quite a niche product. We then saw that evolve to what we would call a modifiable device or a mod device, which is quite a large e-cigarette. Hold it in the palm of your hand. And these are the ones that make those giant clouds of e-cig vapor. If you've ever walked through through um, a group of people using these, um, you think, oh, what is this? That's what modifiable, that modifiable vaping device. They're, they have um, what we would call really like high ampage. That means they can you know, push out those big clouds of vaping. But then you get to the disposable devices and the pod devices that we see are the most popular today. These are those ones, they look like little highlighters, little handheld um, pieces of stationery like you would see potentially in um, a children's pencil case. They come in bright colors, they're disposable, so you don't have to fill the liquid in yourself, you don't have to have a degree in chemistry to know what to do with them. You can buy them off the shelf, pull off the tab and use them. And of course, these products are incredibly cheap. They are highly appealing to young people because of the flavors that have been added. And more often than not, they contain very high concentrations of nicotine. So, Becky, I just wonder if you can talk to us about the marketing tactics of big tobacco. I mean, we've all seen it with the tobacco industry before. We've all heard it before. But can you tell us about that with vaping? Sure. It's, it's like everything old is new again when it comes to vaping marketing. You know, just when we think we've gotten rid of you know, advertisements that glamorize smoking or link smoking to being an independent, free-thinking woman or, you know, linking the sponsorship of sports and Formula One to smoking. Just when we think we've gotten rid of all of that, vaping pops back up and everything old is new again. And you see vaping linked to fashion and style and, and vaping and motorsport, you know, match made in heaven. You've got it splashed all over the vehicles and the motorbikes again. Uh, the very products themselves are designed to appeal to young people. They're small and discreet, come in bright colored packages. Uh, we know that online marketing, particularly through social media and the use of influencers, you know, just like we have influencers selling us things like makeup and running shoes and supplements, you've got influencers selling us vaping products. And it's not just the manufacturers of these products and, you know, the global tobacco industry involved as well. But I find it quite frustrating that the social media platforms themselves aren't being held accountable. You know, the, the Facebooks and the Instagrams and the TikToks of this world 
are responsible for the content on those platforms. And they should be, you know, they have these policies they, that claim that they don't allow vaping marketing. But, you know, I could hop on there right now and easily find you dozens of ads for vaping products. And so I think we need to ensure that both the industry that makes these products and sells them and the industries that allow them to be promoted on these platforms are held accountable. Thanks, Becky. Um, they're really important points. And I think the thing is, um, our data in New South Wales is showing that e-cigarette use is increasing in all age groups, but most rapidly among young people. And the population health survey that we run here shows that one in five young people aged 16 to 24 has used an e-cigarette at least once uh, in one in 20 current daily um, or occasional users. Um, I mean, our latest set of data up to 2021 shows that this has actually increased to one in three young people. Um, that are 16 to 24 years of age. And you can see why this is concerning for us all. Becky, in terms of your research, can you just describe the GenVape study briefly and what are some of the things that you're seeing in GenVape? Yeah, I think the most sort of important finding from GenVape, as you've already touched on it, is just how rapidly things have changed. I mean, I've worked in tobacco control for a really long time, and we're always sort of chipping away and slow progress and, you know, pushing smoking rates down. But the explosive rise in use of vaping to go from a few years ago to being kind of a niche issue, something we should probably keep an eye on, but, you know, what was happening in Australia was largely under control. That is absolutely not the case now. We know from the GenVape study where we're surveying and interviewing young people uh, from age 14 to 17 and age 18 to 24 about their attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors around vaping and smoking as well. We're seeing that young people are increasingly experimenting with these products, that they find them incredibly easy to get their hands on. Over 80% of young people said it was not at all difficult, was very easy to get a vape, um, <laughs> which is just startling to me that a, a product that's only been on the market for such a short period of time could be finding its way into the hands of young people. Thanks, Becky. I mean, this does threaten to undo decades of work in tobacco control. And I want to go to Lyndon here to ask about what do we know about how vaping links to smoking? Yeah, um, can I just make one other comment? And that is we've talked about what an e-cigarette is. And I'd just like to comment on what it is not. And it's not nicotine replacement therapy. And there's a big difference between the two. Uh, nicotine replacement therapy doesn't give you that surge, which then goes on to the addictive component. It just keeps the uh, trough level from coming up with, for the withdrawal. Uh, a lot of people don't recognize the difference between the two. So vaping uh, and smoking give a surge. Uh, vaping is not nicotine replacement therapy. Uh, and as to your question, what's the link to smoking? Um, vaping appears to be a gateway to nicotine addiction and you go on very frequently to smoking. Uh, smoking cigarettes uh, seems to deliver a somewhat more satisfying surge of nicotine. And so uh, we find from the research that e-cigarette uh, users are three times as likely to go on to smoking tobacco as non-e-cigarette users. So definitely a gateway to, to using tobacco and all the harms of tobacco. Um, and also you, those people are addicted to nicotine, which is a problem in itself. And Lyndon, just going to, to the addiction to nicotine, why are we so concerned about that in young people? 
there's emerging question about um, the mood issues with nicotine. So not only does it drive people to use a, um, a substance which is unhealthy or potentially unhealthy in terms of the uh, vaping, uh, but also the nicotine itself may be linked with mood problems. We certainly know that uh, across the, the, the world, the groups of people who are nicotine addicts tend to be more depressed than those who aren't. And it seems to be a double thing. One is self um, treatment with nicotine, but the second is possibly that those people are getting more anxious and depressed with their nicotine addiction. We know now from the research that when people quit nicotine addiction uh, down the track past their actual withdrawals, that their um, anxiety and depression uh, scores improve substantially. And there's a Cochrane uh, reflecting that as well as um, a BMJ study, a, a very large meta-analysis. Yeah, thanks, Lyndon. Um, I think that leads us on to a discussion about the other harms of e-cigarettes. And Becky, you may have some comments on this as well. And I'm interested in also hearing about um, how we can help young people with this. But there's other things in e-cigarettes. It's just not the nicotine. It's certainly not water vapour. So can we, can um, Becky, can you talk to some of the other things that are in vapes? Sure. There is definitely a, a sort of, I guess, a misconception or maybe even an urban myth that vaping products are somehow just water vapor with a bit of flavor and and nicotine thrown in and that makes them sort of pure and clean and nothing could be further from the truth uh, when these products are analyzed by toxicologists and chemists um, you can find a whole host of chemicals that we know are linked to things like cancer we know that some of the chemicals found in vapes are found in you know, household items such as nail polish rem remover and bleach. I mean, those are chemicals that people can really understand how harmful that you can feel what that's like when you breathe in the fumes from those chemicals. Um, so I think that the misinformation around what's in a vape, it's crucial that we address that. Um, the manufacturers and distributors of these products would like young people to believe that they're safe and healthy. And nothing could be further from the truth. One of the things that people don't seem to understand as well is that when you heat up the liquid inside a vaping product, that creates a chemical reaction. And it's all those byproducts of the battery heating up the liquid that produces even more harmful chemicals. And again, these things are really poorly misunderstood by young people. Uh, thanks, Becky. That brings me to my next question, and um, it's around the behaviour and the use of these products. I mean, you've likened, you know, the, the videos on Instagram and TikTok around, you know, people have uh, tricks that they do and that sort of thing, mm. um, and there's a range of ways that young people use these. And, Lyndon, I just wondered if you can talk to um, the amount of time young people use them for or the parts of the day that they use them and what that looks like. Yeah, one of the things that uh, vaping doesn't fit into the cigarette questionnaire very well is um, how many cigarettes a day, for instance. People with vapes have got them running much of the day and it's hard to assess exactly how much nicotine they're consuming. Uh, there's also various nicotine strengths that they uh, in the pre-prescription times that they, they might be consuming. Um, uh, and it's as if they're able to draw on that nicotine continuously all day. Um, so it, it is a quite a different behaviour. And I think the risk of it um, accelerating is much higher because of that. Yeah, thanks, Lyndon. And Becky, just over to you briefly. We talked about devices before. Mm. What are we seeing in those devices at the moment in terms of the size of them? 
yeah, it's been quite remarkable just how um, much variety there is in device type, size, strength. And I know that um, one particular device that has emerged onto the market was a vape that had enough liquid in it for 10,000 puffs. And so the battery wouldn't last long enough to be able to use up all that liquid. You've got to recharge it. But once that 10,000 puffs is, is gone, you toss that one out and buy a new one. But to really understand just how big 10,000 is, you know, listeners might be more familiar with, say, a typical pack of cigarettes. Let's say it has 20 cigarettes in a t- typical pack. And each cigarette, 10 puffs. So that's 200 puffs in a pack of cigarettes. Let's compare that to 10,000 puffs in an e-cigarette. I mean, it boggles the mind. I, I think I can do the math. I think that's about equivalent to 50 puff or 50 cigarette you know, pack puffs equivalent. Um, and so for young people who are maybe drawing on these products all day, every day, we've heard horrible stories of young people sleeping with vaping products under their pillows. It's a, a very, um, it's a different behavior. Additionally, in, for smoking, we've really um, socially normalized that you have to go outside to smoke away from others, that your secondhand smoke is harmful. You don't smoke inside. You, even if you're a smoker, you rarely smoke inside your own home. Whereas we're hearing reports that vaping people are just, you know, regardless of whether it's legal or not, are just, you know, vaping in classrooms, vaping on the bus, vaping at the gym. It's not as, um, it's socially sanctioned. It's more discreet to be able to suck on a vape inside than it is a cigarette. Thanks, Becky. I mean, 50 packets of cigarettes in the shocking, same puffs is a 10,000. That is shocking. It's shocking to hear. I mean, there's a lot of social pressure to do this activity. Um, and I know in Gen Vape there was some, um, we got some information from young people about that social pressure. But can you just talk to that briefly, Becky? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, young people are quite reticent to say that peer pressure is the reason why they vape. Um, they don't use those words themselves. They, they're more languages about to fit in and to be like, you know, it's part of being a teenager. It's just part of being a normal teenager. You know, if you don't vape, you're kind of, you're kind of not normal because it's so accepted and quote unquote, everybody vapes. Even though we know from our study only, you know, only, <laughs> it's still quite high, 30% of young people have tried um, a vaping product. It's, it's become so normalized so quickly and so socially acceptable. And when you compare that to smoking, it, the difference is really stark. And so it, I think it's really crucial that we don't uh, blame young people for pressuring other young people to use these products. The, the source of the problem is the industry who's designed and marketed and lied to young people about how vaping will make them interesting, popular, attractive, and that it's safe. Yeah, thanks, Becky. And I think, um, Lyndon, you mentioned this before. Um, the way young people use e-cigarettes is different. So they'd be, the behaviour of them using them, you know, you might go out and have a cigarette and light up, it goes out and you have one cigarette. But in terms of vaping, how are young people using vapes? It's different to smoking. Um, once again, could I just add something to the previous one? And, and that is that now that we're prescribing uh, vapes for people uh, who are trying to quit smoking, um, the harms of vapes, I, I would like to divide into two. One is the unregulated vapes where there are a lot of unusual substances in there. And uh, this is a real problem. Uh, the second is the, uh, the ones that are regulated, which 
don't have those, but still are dangerous because of this effect that Becky mentioned, where, for instance, formalin is produced as a result of heating of the propylene glycol. So uh, the, the unregulated ones are definitely more of an issue. Some of the food colourings, etc., that have been put in them, uh, the propylene glycol often is contaminated with other things. So there is a difference in the harm between the regulated ones and the unregulated ones. Now, uh, back to the question about uh, the patterns of behaviour for, for young people. There's a real spectrum. There's a lot of uh, uh, social pressure on young people to uh, uh, use. There's um, some anecdotes and unfortunately more anecdotes than I would like of uh, pressure to on-sell them in the playground. There's uh, issues with young people becoming so dependent on nicotine, they find it difficult to make it through a whole school day. And as a result, there's real problems with them uh, being forced in, in through their addiction to use at school and get suspended time and again, and that interferes with their schooling. Uh, so definitely an area to look at how do we keep kids at school without being uh, uh, suspended uh, how do we manage these little um, uh, organized groups that are pushing children to sell on to others etc so it's it's a dreadful situation it's very disturbing for the teachers in the classroom as well uh, where kids are sort of vaping during class which is uh, uh, going on more often than one would like. Mm, thanks, Lyndon. Yeah, it is quite a concern. I just want to talk now about um, how we're going to engage young people in these conversations. So we've looked at the research um, and we understand what's happening from that point of view. We've looked at the e-cigarette and what's in it and the chemicals and, and that, that type of thing. But in terms of working with young people um, and the concerns that we've got, can we start with... Um, how we might sort of start to have that conversation with a young person. Maybe I'll go to you, Lyndon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, with a young person, uh, they're either going to be coming in with another problem or they're going to be presenting with the problem of vaping. So uh, whether those younger people who come in, we should be asking in general practice always the question, uh, do you smoke? But now it needs to be expanded in, do you smoke or vape? And when you say, do you smoke, is tobacco the only thing that you smoke? So it's now a fairly standardised sort of question, which we should be asking all our, uh, our um, clients. Uh, and why? Because this is probably one of the most important reversible health factors for their whole lives. And so it's something we should ask every time. Uh, if the young person's coming in because of the vaping problem, it's often because of uh, suspension at school, or um, other issues and it's it's frequently a sign that there are other problems going on in the young person's life. Um, this is where the difference between vaping and nicotine replacement therapy is very important and supporting that young person with nicotine replacement therapy so they can get through a school day without vaping becomes very important and explaining to parents and the young person what the differences between vaping and nicotine replacement therapy are. Um, maintaining a rapport and finding out what else is, is going wrong in that uh, young person's life. And as with smoking, just work out where they are in the stages of change. Are they themselves ready to quit or are they themselves 
ambivalent about that? Do we need to just support them to get through a school day and keep a good rapport so that we can work further in the future with the actual final cessation? So it's complex. Um, I think we need to screen everyone and I think we also need to have uh, a fairly sophisticated approach to cessation, which actually addresses what the patient is, um, where they are in their journey uh, at that particular time. Yeah, um, thanks very much for that, Lyndon. I guess there's a connection, and we've, we've touched on this briefly, but I'd like to talk about it more, is the connection between vaping and mental health with young people um, and, and also where addiction comes into that. Becky, can you um, give us some ideas around the evidence of that, um, but also in terms of what we can do to help engage young people? Yeah, it was really striking in our interviews with young people um, how often they raised their own mental health and connection to vape use. And it, it actually has evolved quite a bit over the course of the study. We took our first data collection in late 2021 and our most recent data collection just, just last month. And mental health has come up more and more frequently. And young people say when they can't vape, they feel anxious, they feel stressed, which are clear signs of, of addiction when you don't have enough nicotine in your body that can feel very similar to anxiety and stress and so when you take in that nicotine you get a relief from that and I was also very struck by teachers as well identifying that they felt that their students who are under you know tremendous pressures and anxieties and stress were vaping to help cope with that and you know that I found that really heartbreaking that the that young people you know don't have other avenues to turn to there aren't available supports to them that they're turning to vaping products to managing stress. So I think it's essential that um, mental health services, mental health programs that already have good rapport and ties to youth in the community are brought into the vaping discussion and that vaping you know I know they've got a lot on their plate already but it it just seems to make a lot of sense that vaping, vaping support services and mental health support services are talking to each other. Yeah, thanks. And Lyndon, did you want to add anything there? Oh, absolutely. Um, we've, we've seen um, the evidence and also I've seen many clients now whose mood definitely improves down the track after cessation. There is a, definitely a period where the withdrawal is happening, where they don't feel that the mental health issues are improving but down the track when they quit things are better and yet as health professionals it's rare that we offer to a patient that this may actually be a way that you can improve your mental health by quitting um, smoking or quitting vaping and nicotine addiction. Um, I would like to see a day where all mental health um, professionals offer this as a potential way of actually improving mental health, supporting people in a sophisticated way to get through that withdrawal period and then have their mental health improve uh, because of the nicotine addiction going away. Thank you. And just to the point you made before, Lyndon, around um, using nicotine replacement therapy um, in assisting young people to give up vapes. Is there any way that you'd send your colleagues to to start looking at what that might be like in terms of their clinical practice? Um, well, if we're talking about clients, we're definitely sending people to the quit line. Uh, a, an excellent service uh, really, because it's free, it's often undervalued, uh, but um, uh, 
it's it's as, as good as any professional service and very expert in helping people with nicotine addiction. Uh, they deliver it not only from personal telephone contact, but through all sorts of different computer uh, um, methods. Uh, there's also the sources to support young people, such as Kids Quit um, and Quitline. Also, uh, I've spoken to them from 14 years up, are willing to speak to young people as well. Um, there's, there's a host of uh, information around uh, cessation from the RECG website, etc., which I think um, it's important for clinicians to be in touch with the guidelines, uh, particularly around things like cessation in pregnancy, etc., which is, is somewhat tricky. Um, so I guess those are the, the first things that come to mind. Thank you. And we're um, at New South Wales Health here. We are working with a range of um, clinicians on a nicotine cessation. Um, what will put you in evidence-based guideline, hopefully, to to offer more support to clinicians and and um, teachers and school counsellors and school nurses as well. So we'll we'll make it so that it's useful for anyone that comes in contact to a young person around this issue. Yes, there's also the New South Wales Health uh, Know What You're Vaping uh, information uh, on the website, which is uh, really fantastic. And we can put those links um, in the um, bottom of the podcast, actually. So what can young people do um, themselves? I mean, that's, a, that's an industry pushing a product. It's social pressure in terms of um, when they go out, other people are vaping and they feel a pressure to vape. What can young people do themselves, do you think? to push against that pressure from both the industry and socially? Yeah, um, one of the um, really inspiring programs that we've seen in schools is with the senior students banding together and developing uh, projects across the school to counter vaping, uh, both to give young people um, information about where they can go for help, for instance, to um, Headspace, Beyond Blue, etc., if if they're feeling vulnerable, uh, but also um, information about the dangers of vaping and that everybody doesn't vape, uh, countering the myth that everybody is vaping. Uh, you don't have to vape to be normal. All these messages um, some of the young people in schools have been putting up, uh, and I think that's tremendous uh, real leadership to, to be seen amongst them. I hope that some young people, sporting captains, etc., cetera, in, uh, in sporting teams can do the same thing and step up and maybe have a quiet word to the coach who's vaping in front of their uh, colleagues, etc. cetera. Um, young people can be activists as well. And, uh, and sometimes they can go on to be the leaders of the future. So really would uh, commend that where, where it can happen. Yeah, thanks, Lyndon and Becky. That's a call for young people, I think, to step up as well and, um, you know, talk about this issue uh, with their friends and family and teachers uh, and, of course, their GP uh, if they need any help. So we don't have time to go through all the clinical guidance in detail here, um, but those who are interested, we do have two other webinars that we recorded last year with more clinical detail. Um, is there anywhere else, just finally, from both of you that you would suggest listeners go to for um, updated information? Um, I'll just start. I think I think it's great that we've really focused on, you know, um, making sure that young people are well supported, especially those that have been preyed on by this very lecherous industry that has, you know, sold them products that were designed for them, marketed to them and addi have addicted them. But I think it's also really essential that we support the prevention of vaping uptake as well. Um, 
physicians and GPs have a really important role to play in supporting public health policy um, that addresses keeping vaping products out of the hands of the kids in, in first places. So I just want to make sure that we we absolutely ensure that young people who are addicted, but we also have a real window of opportunity here to prevent young people from becoming addicted in the first place. And that's by really putting all of our support behind these new announcements around public health efforts to just to keep these products out of the hands of kids. In terms of other resources that people can access, um, there is a treasure trove of information on the Tobacco in Australia website. Every peer review study you can think of, every systematic review that you could want on any topic in tobacco control or vaping or electronic cigarettes is there, and I highly recommend it. Thanks, Vicky. And over to you, Lyndon. Yeah, um, look, the literature is starting to buzz with uh, different potential harms from e-cigarettes, including vascular harms. And so some of the reasons that we're turning people off smoking onto uh, e-cigarettes are maybe not necessarily as sound as we might think. And now I'm prescribing vapes to people, um, certainly very aware of that and need to stress to them that perhaps the dangers are different, but there are still dangers in this product and people should quit if they possibly can. Um, some people find it tremendously difficult, but with a sophisticated method, uh, the Rene Batoon flowchart, etc., where I've had up to, to four patches on people through using the flowchart, you can get really good um, results. Um, that's that's probably the main thing that I'd like to say is that the, the emerging stuff is, needs to be watched. Thanks very much. And for the final um, wrap-up, I'll get you to make um, your final points, but for the people listening, there is a range of um, resources that we will put um, in link in the notes. So there's an uh, e-cigarette uh, podcast that was around evolving the evolving landscape for general practice and then also the evidence-based approaches to quit nicotine. Uh, my final takeaways here is that um, moving forward, young people are going to need the help from their general practitioner, their peers, uh, mental health services, um, the online ones, the, the ones that they can phone um, in terms of giving up um, vaping uh, and the impact of nicotine. Becky, over to you for some final thoughts before we go. Um, I would just say, you know, I've, it's been remarkable just how um, – Young people in Australia have, I guess, turned their back and turned their nose up at the tobacco industry. Smoking rates are incredibly low in Australia, and that's as a result of, you know, decades of efforts, including, you know, indoor smoking bans and advertising bans and high taxes and, um, you know, bans on the advertising of these products. And all of that's worked together to make smoking rates really low. And I think we now have this chance for vaping not to have to repeat that again over decades, but to nip it in the bud perfectly right away. We have this window of opportunity to act to prevent another you know, generation becoming addicted to these products. And I'm so pleased that both the federal government, the state government and local governments are trying to throw everything they can at this. It's totally worth it. Thanks, Becky. Uh, and Lyndon, some final thoughts from you? Yeah, um, just some of the things that people can do. For instance, there's the active um, uh, report um, smoking violations that New South Wales Health um, gathers and to they'll, I assume there'll be links for that one as well uh, on the website. Um, 
And also, for instance, uh, just keeping the message up. If you're involved in a PNC at schools, uh, if you're involved, uh, I, I speak on ABC radio frequently about it, but you don't have to be talking at that sort of level. It's just a matter of if you're in a sporting club, if you've got a coach that's vaping on the field with the kids, I've seen that so many times. Make sure that it's talked about and that uh, these things are um, are addressed because, uh, yeah, we're out there at a community level. We're not just working in our rooms as general practitioners. We need to do a good job in the rooms, but uh, we have influence across the community as well, and that's really important. Thanks, Lyndon. And so Becky Freeman and Lyndon Bauer, thank you very much for your time today. It's been an interesting discussion, and I hope that we can come together to discuss this further at another time. Thanks again. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you.